Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. Welcome to Tell Me a Story I Don't Know, a refreshing and captivating interview with top sports personalities and their connections to Chicago. They reveal some entertaining, memorable, and emotional stories, some you've never heard before. I'm George Hoffman, and please make sure you subscribe to Tell Me a Story I Don't Know on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcast. Tell Me a Story I Don't Know is presented by Dynamic Manufacturing. Since 1955, Dynamic Manufacturing has a relentless commitment to quality and customer service when it comes to your automotive needs. They've been named General Motors Supplier of the Year 22 times. And whether it's remanufacturing, machining, electrification, motorsports, and much more, there's nothing Dynamic Manufacturing can't do. Find them on the web at dynamicmanufacturinginc.com. And by Raul Jewelers, who offer the finest in rings, bracelets, earrings, necklaces, and much more since 1982. They specialize in custom design, so if you're looking for that right gift, especially during the holidays, head to Raul Jewelers on Barrington Road in Hoffman Estates, and they're on the web at rawljewelers.com. Tell Me a Story I Don't Know is also sponsored by the Polina Market, purveyors of the finest meats. Look for them at polinamarket.com and by Vienna Beef, makers of Chicago's hot dogs and a landmark institution since 1893. They're located at viennabeef.com. This week we feature longtime Fox NFL sideline reporter and Chicago native Laura Oakman. It took me about four months to find 20 women who wanted to get in a conference room and spend a weekend um, talking about women in sports and interviewing and building relationships. And I didn't think about it as a business or a title of a, you know, a company name. I just asked, how can I help? And now 12 years later, it's been over 2,500 women and it's women, not just on camera, but in every aspect of sports. And it's been an incredible sisterhood of women um, to help, you know, to help build and to help be a part of because it's just something I never would have had. And now I'm, I'm probably glad that I didn't have it because I probably wouldn't have created it if, if I did have it. I just knew how sorely it was lacking. You may remember Laura from her days here covering Michael Jordan and the Bulls, but she's since established herself as her premier reporter for Fox Sports, among others. Her aggressive yet stimulating style has earned her plaudits everywhere, but she's done much more than just reporting. She's galvanized. So, Laura Oakman, tell me a story I don't know. I just loved, I loved the introduction so much. It's nice when you get introduced and there's a smile on your face the whole time listening. Thank you for the introduction and thank you for having me. And, you know, I'm going to start with a Chicago story. I'll start with a Michael Jordan story. But the greatest thing about me being a young reporter during, uh, during the heyday was I actually met Michael and started covering him when I was a reporter in Chattanooga, Tennessee. It was my second job. Um, my first job, I spent one year in Montgomery, Alabama, and then went to Chattanooga and thought I was ready for a big jump. Spoiler alert, I wasn't. But during the time I was covering the Chattanooga Lookouts, the Cincinnati Reds AA baseball team, they played the Birmingham Barons. 
Pirates. And it was during the time when Michael played baseball. And so I am so fortunate how timing works, the universe works, where before I even got to Chicago, I got to cover Michael and I got to know Michael in a very different way. And when he was um, very humbled and when getting to him and by him was so much easier versus if I would have been in Chicago and got thrown into the circus and, you know, in the world of the Chicago Bulls. And so I was trying to think so much about stories you don't know. And, and I would just say one of my favorite ones to tell people ask me all the time as they do you, George, who's your favorite interview? Who have you interviewed? And I have such a tough time with that because I really feel every conversation I'm in, every interview I'm doing is my favorite. And it is at that moment. But what I'll always say is I really don't have favorite interviews, but I have favorite lessons. And one of the privileges of being around this world as long as we have is some pretty incredible people teach you some pretty incredible things. And when I was in Chattanooga, got to know Michael, and then the next year when he returned to basketball in Chicago, I got the jump and the opportunity of a lifetime starting to cover the, the Bears and the Bulls for Sports Channel Chicago, which back in the day was such a huge deal. When I got to Chicago, I leaned on my relationship I had built with Michael, and my bosses leaned on my relationship with Michael uh, since I knew him, and I just remember one of the earliest, greatest lessons I learned as a reporter was I needed something, um, I needed a reaction from him or a comment from him. And it wasn't Bulls related, and it wasn't basketball related, but my bosses knew I could get to him. So basically, anytime anything happened in the world of sports, they were like, have Laura go ask Michael. And so I, a couple times, would wait by the Birdo Center where the Bulls practiced. And I knew, you know, a little place that he would go that I wouldn't be in that big group of reporters. And I'd, I'd call him over. And he did that twice. And then the third time, he called me over and said, hey, I just wanted to tell you something. I know this isn't you. I know this is your bosses and I know that they think it's pretty great that you can come to me all the time, but I would like to tell you a lesson or a message and I'd like you to repeat it to your bosses. He said, just because you can go to the well doesn't mean you should. How about that? Right? right. And so it was such a great lesson of, oh, wait a minute. I'm trying so hard to please the bosses who they don't care about the relationship with Michael Jordan or anyone. They just want, 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 feed the machine, feed the machine. And so it was my eyes open moment of, hold on a second, I'm going to need this relationship. I'm still building this relationship as a young reporter, and I don't want him to think that I'm constantly going to the well. So he was wonderful. So we said, you know, you, he said that, and then he said, I'll give you one lengthy sit down a year. You get to choose when, choose carefully. <laughs> and so I was able to bring that back to my bosses and say, I can't go to him anymore, you know, and I won't go to him anymore. If it's not involved with the whole group of reporters, I can't ask for anything um, private, but I do get one sit down a year. And I've taken that with me my whole life. And I do so much with training young women as reporters. And that's one of the biggest lessons I always tell them is you're going to have that relationship probably longer than you'll have a relationship with your bosses. And so to mind that relationship carefully. And so that was one of my favorite lessons. And then the second lesson he taught me another time, I was probably doing the same thing. I was waiting for him at the United Center before a game. And you know, George, where they would come in mm -hmm. uh, park and then walk through to the locker room. And I was staking him out and stalking him. And he was walking through the hallway and I just jumped him, you know, and Michael, blah, 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 blah. 
And he just put his hand up and he stopped and he said, hold on a minute. Hi, Laura, how are you? And I was like, oh, I'm good. How are you? And he said, I know, I, I know I'm busy and I know you know that, but please, you know, make sure that you remember that you can say hello and another lifelong lesson. And George, I still to this day when I stand, you know, after a football game and and the winning quarterback usually is coming over to me to do an interview and the PR guy's yelling at him to hurry and me to hurry. My producers in my ear going, go, go, go. You know, you have, we have two questions. You got to get to it. I will never start an interview even that quick on the field after a playoff game without saying hello and congratulating the player. You know, it tells you a great deal about how smart Michael was on the court, but how smart he was off the court. He controlled things. We all know that, but at least he had the smarts to understand what you did for a living. And he also had the strength to tell you, hey, there's a line to cross. You can't cross it but he did it in the professional manner. That's always what I remember about Michael was he was a pro in more ways than you can imagine. That's what's so frustrating now is there's times where you work with athletes and and they're tough, right? And, and I'm fortunate to say, I, I don't have many stories about them actually, but that's always my bar in my head is, hey, if Michael was accountable after every single game, if Michael treated everybody with respect that, I don't ever remember him blowing off an interview. There were times he changed an interview and said, why? Or just said, can you do it? You know, I need to do it this week. But there was always such a professionalism with it. And so I have a tough time when I see somebody who hasn't come near the height of Michael, who treats the media or treats people badly because we have, we watch the best, right? Like we are around that every day. Michael, what about the younger players in the league again? Why is that appreciation missing among them, that respect for history of what it's taken to bring the league to what it is now? If you could point to anything, what would you say? Yeah, well, I think a lot has to do with the, uh, the amount of attention they're receiving. And... It's a high bar, but boy, I wish every young athlete got to see how he handled the media and how he handled his world. Listen up, OEMs. First impressions are lasting ones. Dynamic Manufacturing's impressive complex in Hillside, Illinois, includes nearly a million square feet of operating space. I had a chance to view some of it, and I was overwhelmed by the organization, technology, and dedicated workforce. Dynamic Manufacturing provides solutions for engineering, manufacturing, machining, and logistics, and they can re-energize your electric and energy storage systems. They can machine any project, no matter the size. And when it comes to motorsports, they're your trusted partner for chasing podiums with their custom torque converters. Dynamic Manufacturing is your one-stop for all your remanufacturing needs, and they can't wait to engineer a custom solution for getting maximum value from experienced parts. Dynamic Manufacturing, where there's nothing they can't do. The easiest way to hear more great guests on Tell Me a Story I Don't Know is to follow me on social media at George Hoffman. That's O-F-M-A-N, just one F, on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And please subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts. We return with Laura Oakman on Tell Me a Story I Don't Know. You talked about lessons learned and now lessons that you are teaching. So explain Galvanize how it started, why, and what it has achieved. 
Well, I know during that time, just as a young reporter, I floundered and I was so young and I was so naive and, and I thought that I was ready and I wasn't in so many ways. I wasn't ready as a journalist. You know, my questions weren't ready. My, I wasn't ready in press conferences to have everybody look at you when you asked a question. I, I, I struggled confidence wise. I struggled figuring out how to build relationships as a woman in this business, especially, you know, 30 years ago when there weren't many of us. And so I, I, I always called myself my whole life a guy's girl. And I was very proud of that, that, you know, I'm, hey, I don't have a lot of girlfriends. I'm with the guys all the time. And I got to an age where I really needed women in my life. I needed women who had gone through it or were going through it because I had, you know, my best friend was a man in this business and he helped me up to a point, but he couldn't understand what it was like as a woman. And so I started seeing young women get thrown in so much more, George, quicker than I did and higher up than I did, you know, really, really fast. And I loved it for them. I loved it for their opportunity. I loved that there were more women in numbers, but I watched the women who weren't ready. And I saw networks chew them up and spit them out. And at 23 years old or 24 years old, I watched their confidence get crushed and not on a Sunday or a Saturday, but their confidence period. And so I'm really fortunate that I saw that at an older age. Cause if I, I saw it younger, I would have been judgmental of the women, you know, and said, hey, you know, I, I, I had to figure it out on my own and you had to figure it out on your own. But luckily, I was more at a motherly age. And instead of getting judgmental, I got really protective and went, how can I help? And that was about 12 years ago. And I it took me about four months to find 20 women who wanted to get in a conference room and spend a weekend um, talking about women in sports and interviewing and building relationships. And I didn't think about it as a business or a title of a you know company name. I just asked, how can I help? You don't get special treatment. And with this type of group and the relationship that Laura's been able to build with the coaches and the players, you know, this access is something we have never gotten before and you really have to cherish it and make the most of every moment. And now 12 years later, it's been over 2,500 women and it's women, not just on camera, but in every aspect of sports. We're from high school to 40s to actually probably 50s. And it's been an incredible sisterhood of women um, to help, you know, to help build and to help be a part of because it's just something I never would have had. And now I'm, I'm probably glad that I didn't have it because I probably wouldn't have created it if, if I did have it. I just knew how sorely it was lacking. It must be incredibly rewarding to see how many women have succeeded through Galvanize. How many have become, well, sportscasters, but how many of them have made it? Oh my gosh, I, if I, I should start keeping track, but I can tell you all of them. And I really mean that because they come to me usually, you know, again, we're all ages, but so the sweet spot is probably uh, 23 to 27 years old. So that's probably the bulk. And when they come to me and they're just starting. And so to be able to help hopefully give a springboard and, and this great sisterhood to help them and some coaching and all of that, I've seen every one of them follow their dreams. And so whether it's being on camera, which they are, or producing or in PR or an agent. And I, I and the cool thing also is I've seen so many women through Galvanize change their path because they all came in thinking, well, I want to be on camera because that's all I see. I see women on field holding side, you know, holding uh, microphones. And I'm not, I'm not downplaying that because I've done that for a very long time and I love it. 
but I wanted them to see a bigger world. So we partner up with a lot of NFL teams and other professional sports leagues. And I want them to see not just, you know, not just marketing and PR, but also player engagement and what it's like to be in sales or director of operations. And so we've had so many women come in and go, I want to be a reporter. And then they've left a boot camp or they've left a galvanized cycle and said, actually, I'm going to go in this direction. And those are some of my favorite success stories because I love that we can open up their eyes and open up the world for them. So they see there's so much out there that they don't even know about yet. I've been fortunate enough to already interview for this podcast, Sarah Kustak and Peggy Kaczynski, both of whom, of course, are trailblazers, uh, trailblazers rather, in their own right. Yeah. Uh, matter of fact, Peggy told me a horror story about her and uh, a male producer. She was trying to make it in this business. Galvanize, I think, puts you in that same category or kind of in a different type of category as being a trailblazer. Wouldn't you agree? Um, thank you. I hope so. I, I think what I'm most proud of is, I, you know, this business is really selfish. It's just, it's so much about you. It's so much about what's my path. What job do I want? What network do I want to aspire to? What events do I want to cover? And, and I just got to an age in life where I was really fortunate that I checked a lot of boxes and all of a sudden looked around and had a very sad life with a lot of check boxes and 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 said what else is there and I was so passionate about my my career I still am but I just had no purpose you know it was just I was kind of sleepwalking event to event airplane to airplane and so I think hopefully what what Galvanize did was give me the purpose to go along with the passion and I don't have children and now I feel like I have over 2000 of them. And I just That's a know, lot of children to have <laughs> a lot of children yeah. and, and sometimes it's too many children and sometimes not enough. But um, I think what I love so much is that it just opened my heart and grew my heart in ways I didn't know uh, that they could grow. You know, it's just all of a sudden I love when I get a great assignment. I love when I have a great interview, but my heart grows 10 times bigger when one of my girls, and I'm air quoting girls, but when one of my women does, and when I, when I see how hard they work, and when I see how many people told them no, and how they stuck with it, it's just, it's such a different trail. So I hope... I hope that I've helped create something that wasn't there when I was in this business. And I hope that I created something that's going to last a whole lot longer than my career will. When I first started in the late 70s, there were basically no women sportscasters, save for one, the late Jeannie Morris. But slowly and surely, there were breakthroughs. So now we're seeing women play-by-play announcers and referees, just to mention a few. In the famous words of a cigarette commercial, which you know may sound sexist today, and I certainly don't mean it, you've come a long way, baby. That was the Virginia Slims commercial. Yeah. Women have come a long way, haven't they? Ah, I'm always torn with this. You know, yes, there are. There's there's women doing things that you and I probably never thought. You know, I was asked all the time. You know, 20 years ago, will a woman ever be in the booth? Will she ever be doing play-by-play or a coach? And I would always say, not in my lifetime. And so. We have in terms of that, but what I always say is we've come a long way in numbers, but we haven't in the meaningful, sustainable way. You know, it's just for women to, for me to feel like women have really come far in this business means we need to see women running the rooms. We need to see women create, owning the content. We need to see women hiring. We need to see women in the executive rooms and the board rooms. And so 
I would say we've come far in numbers, but we have such a far way to go in terms of really, um, we, have a, we have such a far, I'm trying to think how to say this, but we just have such a, a, a far way to go in terms of creating something that will allow us to, uh, to not name one person as an official or one person as a coach or um, one or three women in play-by-play. I think to really make this lasting and really say that we've come a far, we have come a long way, baby, is when we're finally in those high offices and making major decisions about who we're hiring and what content we're creating. And when that happens, I think that's when I'll be able to say, yes, we finally have come a far way. We've finally come a far way. Do you think it's taking too long? Do you, do you think that, uh, I mean, there's been a, a pretty good proliferation of, of women in, in broadcasting, that's for sure. I'm not even sure whether or not there are more women sideline reporters today than there are men. But I think you're talking in terms of not just in the broadcast booth. This is a little more important to you. It's about the people who make the decision who are in the broadcast booths. You're right. You know, sideline reporters, whatever sport we talk about, it's predominantly women, but that's the only position we can say. That's become the woman role. And I can just tell you, as someone who's been doing it a long time, I, I prepare just as hard as the play-by-play guy and, and the analyst. I watch just as much tape. I watch just as much practice. I have just as many conversations with people. And so, but they get three hours to talk about a game and we get two and a half minutes. And so it's it's a wonderful role. And again, I'm so thankful for it. I've been doing it a long time, but I think that there just has to be more women in bigger roles that it's not just literally and figuratively on the sideline. And it can't be for just women's sports. And it's just, we're, we're still slow to that. We're, we're, we're just getting comfortable with women play by play and we're just getting comfortable. You know, we're still celebrating one woman official and, and I'd like it to move faster, but change, you know, real change usually doesn't. And I'm just hopeful that we are going in that direction. Your big breakthrough came here when you were hired by Sports Channel in Chicago. A moment of silence, please, for Sports Channel. <laughs> this was some 25 years ago. You were anchoring SportsCast during a time when they were actually huge in this country, thanks in part to Keith Oberman and Dan Patrick. So tell me what it was like to work in Chicago at your age. You're a woman, and now you're doing SportsCast here. Ah, it was, it was such a big deal and it would have been a big deal no matter where I was from, but to go home and I I can't tell you the pinch me moments that I had. It's, they were every day. And I just remember when they hired me originally, it was really, you know, Hey, we really want you to focus on the bears beat. And so I was going to Hallis Hall every day and, you know, and really their bears reporter. Preseason, Todd Sauerbrunn finally backed up the words he's been talking for the past year that he has the potential to become one of the premier punters in the National Football League. The 1995 season, Todd was no more for his cockiness than he was his kicking, something his teammates weren't too fond of, so they decided to get together and shave the rookie's head, creating some head problems for the punter to sort through all season long. Last year, they took one look at me and just, you know, formed an. You know this, just for any Chicago kid to be told that your job is going to be following the Chicago Bears, it was overwhelming. And my first partner was Doug Buffon. You got to put points up. You've got to go out there and you've got to put points up. And if you don't put points up, you're not going to win. 
I mean, this is something to the National Football League. You've got to put points up. If you can't put points up, you know what? Again, you're asking your defense. You're asking to run the football. You're asking to do all that stuff. That's that's all time football. That's me. And so, to you know, to be working with somebody who you only knew from being a child, and having him be so kind and helpful, and and working with all of these Chicago legends was was overwhelming in the most wonderful ways and in the scariest of ways. And also it was a big deal. You know, it was one thing to be in Montgomery, Alabama and in Chattanooga, Tennessee and start getting recognized. And that's, that's hard in the beginning when suddenly, you know, you're 23 years old and all of a sudden you can't go to a bar and have a drink because people are looking at you. And so you kind of have to get used to this whole thing of being recognized and in both of those places, I was the only woman in sport. So it was a big deal. And so I was very aware that people were looking and curious and, you know, some positive, some very negative. So to take that and then all of a sudden be thrown into Chicago and being recognized in that size of a city and when it's your people and when suddenly it's your high school friends and younger all reaching out to you, probably asking for tickets, but, but really being thrown into that world at home was a really, really big deal. And I just know for me, my mom had just died months before I got that job. And so the idea of me going home meant so much because I was so lost in Chattanooga by myself and I didn't have family and I was so sad and I was going through such a hard time. And so to be brought home and to feel like suddenly I was around people that loved me and cared about me um, was pretty amazing. And here's what's funny. I'm sure you're like this too, George. When I think about those times, I really don't think about the Bulls, even though I, you know, was with them for the second three-peat and traveled with them. And it was pretty cool and amazing and, you know, and love my Michael Jordan stories. But I just think about my life. I think about who I was meeting. I think about where, not necessarily being at the flu game, but I think about who I was sitting next to. And so I love when I get I get some time to look back and think about how much I grew during that time. And by the way, the backdrop was covering the Chicago Bulls. You know, you just mentioned the name Doug Buffon, yeah. who is, I, I would say he is the beloved Doug Buffon. I yeah. worked with Doug Buffon. I worked with him at the score. And I, I can't think of one person in this industry I have ever worked with that was that much loved. I'm not just, I'm not talking about, respected and liked and you know he was a, a bears of star i'm talking about the person himself i mean to work with him and you you did he was as engaging a human being as you'll ever meet you just forgot what he did for a living right like it's just exactly yes that take away what he did what he you did. forgot excuse me for yeah. interrupting you forgot that he was a football player yeah he just i, I just know I think all the time about the importance of surrounding your surrounding people with good people when they're young in this business and any business, but especially this business who's very cruel to women. And, and it really doesn't number on your head and, and your confidence when you're young and learning and trying to fit into a place where everyone keeps telling you that you don't fit in and they don't want you and we don't care what you say. And you've got to you've got to drown all that out and believe that you do belong and believe you do know what you're talking about. And so I know at a time that that was so crucial for me because I felt so much like I didn't belong. I know that Doug helped me with that and eased me in and was so helpful in every way, 
not just on camera as an analyst, making sure that, you know, that he made me look good, but as a human being checking on me and asking how I was and knowing what I was going through, you know, grieving. And I was really fortunate with Sports Channel because I had Doug Buffon when it came to Bears and I had Norm Van Leer. Time for Norm's Keys to the Game and your theme is? My theme this evening, and we'll have a theme because we're going back down to Orlando and it will be Disney World. Yes, indeed. And let's get up. <laughs> and we have to get on the favorite ride. The first one is Space Mountain. Yes, that's because of the shack. And let's face it, this team came out. I couldn't have been around lovelier human beings, again, take away their jobs. And I know a lot of young women and young men who get thrown into this business and they are with analysts or with people who aren't helpful, who are very competitive and who test them. And I can't thank those two gentlemen, you know, enough for when they were here the guidance they gave me and the kindness they gave me as a young reporter who really needed it. Who doesn't love jewelry? Who wouldn't love Rawl Jewelers? Family owned and operated for nearly 40 years, Rawl Jewelers offers the very best in fine jewelry and engagement rings, including mined and lab grown diamonds. And they utilize the latest technology and offer jewelry repair on the premises. Rawl Jewelers has a glittering array of rings, necklaces, earrings, bracelets, and watches, and offers custom-designed jewelry on the premises. And if you have the most specific questions, Rawl Jewelers has four graduate gemologists on staff. With over 200 years of combined experience and expertise, it's no wonder Rawl Jewelers is one of the leading shops of its kind. This is where my wife and I got our wedding bands many years ago, and it's safe to say, when you walk in as a customer, you're going to leave as a friend. Rawl Jewelers is located at 3001 Barrington Road in Hoffman Estates, right off I-90 West. Rawl Jewelers, when only the very best will do. So here's someone who grew up in Chicago. Now you're working here. You know this is a rabbit sports town. And so you had to grow up a fan of all the teams. But remember, there are two baseball teams here. So Laura, <laughs> it's all yours. Um, you know, it's so cool that this is, <laughs> it's such a, it's such a horrible fence answer, but it's the truth. I grew up with a, a South Sider and a North Sider as parents. And so we went to both. We loved both, you know, that we very much were raised, you know, that like so many Chicagoans, you know, it just, there was no better day to go to either park. And so I would say and really mean that we grew up both, we grew up both sides in it. Now that probably changed as I covered both teams and one team was a little better to deal with or easier to deal with or somebody treated you better. And so I think that probably shaped me more than when I was young. And I really did just love going to either ballpark and anytime you were fortunate enough to get tickets, yes, please. I know that sounds like such a horrible sitting on the fence answer, but it's really the truth. You, you stop having that attachment. And so I think there was something really cool about going to both ballparks and just feeling like you're a six-year-old kid who's allowed to be standing there behind BP and talking to players or talking to the manager and that like that just never to me mattered if it was Cubs or White Sox, that's home. And that was pretty darn cool. You know, you mentioned Michael Jordan earlier in this podcast about lessons learned from him. 
But there were a couple of other people who were involved in perhaps lessons, Charles Barkley and Brian Erlacher. So tell me a story I don't know. What did they do to further your career? With Charles Barkley, again, I was such a young reporter. I was probably in Chattanooga at the time, if maybe not, maybe Montgomery since he was from Alabama. But I, I called him for something I needed. And he answered the phone and he said, well, 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 Laura Oakman, what do you need? And I said, Charles, can't a girl just call and say hello? And he said, a girl can, you just never do. Said, I'm not trying to give you, I don't know if I can swear, so I'll just say I'm not trying, everyone knows it's Charles Barkley, yeah. so he did not say I'm not trying to give you, you know, stuff. But he said, I'm not trying to give you, you know, I'm not trying to give you grief. I just know when you call, you need something. So what do you need? And that crushed me because who wants to be that person, you know, and, and as a reporter or as a human being, when the phone rings and someone you look down and you're like, Ugh, what do they need? But at that age, I thought, why in the world would I reach out to Charles Barkley unless I needed something? You know, was I going to call and say good game or how was your weekend or would he get the wrong idea? And so I just never called or never reached out. And that was before texting. But it changed my life completely because all of a sudden I was like, I don't want to be that person. So how do I make sure that I'm not? And so I worked for the rest of my career, you know, including now on building relationships, not contacts, not sources. And I started doing some media training years ago and teams would hire me. And when my first team did, I called a couple of players who I'd covered a long time and it, it took me a while to get in with them. And Brian was one of them. And Brian has what he calls a bubble around him. And it's just, it's the bubble you cannot get in. And when I first met him and started building a relationship with him and, you know, he doesn't trust many people. And he told me about the bubble and I was like, Ooh, I'm getting in. And he was like, I don't know what part of the story you didn't understand, but you're not getting in. No, you know, it's very hard to get into the bubble. And I was like, I'm getting in the bubble. And he was like, Laura, you're never going to get in the bubble. But, you know, for uh, for years, I would build that relationship with them, build the relationship. And every time, am I in the bubble? Am I in the bubble? And it got to be a joke until one day I was in the bubble. And so when I started, when I started doing this media coaching, I called Brian and I said, you know, one of the things I'm doing is helping players build trust uh, with reporters and what they should vet when they look for people. So can I ask you, how did I get in the bubble? What's something that I can teach that you that you saw that allowed me to get in? And he said, easiest answer. When you call, which you, he said, every time I look at you, it's you reach out 10 times, but you ask for something once. And so I immediately, you know, thanked him. And then I hung up and called Charles, you know, and said, I just want to thank you for one of the most important lessons I ever learned. And that that's everything to me. I have a day still to this day. It's called Relationship Tuesday. And during the football season, and that's when everybody's off, I, I literally, George, I just work on my relationships. I text, I call, I email, I reach out with no questions. I, I don't want anything. I don't need anything. I just check in constantly now. You know, if I know the families, I know the kids, especially the daughters, you know, galvanize a lot. I have Brian Urlacher's daughter who galvanizes, you know, for the last few years. And so it just, it, it taught me the importance of making sure that I, I built the relationships that again would last for my lifetime. My, I, I, I don't talk to bosses from the past. I mean, very few of them, but I still talk to the people that I built relationships with for years. And so that's my biggest thing I try to teach and galvanize is 
how do I make sure all these reporters are building real lasting relationships that um, that hopefully they'll learn lessons like I did because people think they're worth sharing lessons instead of just saying to them, you know what, you only reach out when you need something, I'm done with you. So I'm really, I'm really fortunate for some great athletes who took their time with me when they didn't need to. You know, I don't know if you have a relationship or what relationship you have with Aaron Rodgers, but you did a long profile on the Green Bay Packers quarterback who certainly, certainly has dotted the headlines. So who is this guy? You know, one of the first things when I started um, getting to know Aaron, what I loved so much about him was just he doesn't fit in a box and he doesn't want to be in a box. And when you talk to him, it's very, you know, I, I did a, a show, I was producing um, a 30 minute show that profiled players. And this is probably what you're talking about, but it profiled players and coaches and owners and NFL personalities. And this is, you know, almost 10 years ago when there weren't a lot of profile pieces going on like that. And so I would go after everybody who didn't do those, anybody who, didn't want to get to, didn't want to take the helmet off is who I really tried to have those um, conversations with and 30 minute shows on. And Aaron was one of them. So what a difference an off season makes. We would have been here last year at this time. Would we have walked into your house and seen a photo shoot, a fashion photo shoot going on? I hope not. (laughs) (laughs) No, I don't think so. I wouldn't have a house like this. That's for sure. I was going to ask you how you've changed. So we can just start right from there. Let's just start from where we are. How I've changed? Yeah. I don't think I've changed too much. How has life changed? And I loved my time with him as I still do because football is probably the least interesting thing about Aaron to me and to him. He's so interested in the world. He's so interested in um, music and in reading and I just get so much out of the conversations with them because I know there's no small talk. And I know that if Aaron is spending his time talking to you, it's because he wants to be there. And I appreciate that. So it didn't surprise me just because I've always, I've always said to him, I can't wait to see what you do after football, because my guess is it'll surprise a lot of people. You have worked with so many well-known pros in this business, but I want to ask you about two of them. First, Dick Stockton, who was much maligned in his later years before he retired, a wonderful professional who, of course, called Carlton Fisk's homer in the 1975 World Series, among other highlights. What was he like to work with and deal with? From the 25-yard line, play action on first down and has a lot of time, and he's going to go deep, and there is Christian Kirk, who's wide open, and Kirk will score on the first play from scrimmage, 75 yards. You know, Dick is a pro, and like you said, he's just been doing it for such a long time. And so, I mean, I just think about more than anything, the years I traveled with him, the Friday night dinners and the stories he tells, you know, and it's just, you kind of sit there with your jaw to the floor, like just, you can't believe he called that game. You know, it's one thing to be like, you know, you know, like, hey, I was in high school and enjoying the 85 Bears, you know, and what a party. But Dick's, Dick's voice is narrate so many of our greatest memories. And so to be able to hear those stories on a Friday night dinner was pretty incredible. And also just every time he said my name on the air was, was, was amazing. You know, just every time you hear that voice say Laura, you know, or Laura Oakman, you know, down on the field, 
And the Cowboys will start from the 20 as we send it down to Laura. Dick, I saw Brian's question, and I said to Jason Garrett, a lot of people are surprised this isn't an offensive shootout. Are you one of those people? He said, not at all, not with these two great defenses, which leads to offensively, we've got to give Tony more time. We've got to block better up front. He hasn't had time to go through his progressions. That never got old to me, and, and I never wasn't. I never thought that wasn't cool. And what I'd say the best thing that Dick did for me was introduce me to um, to his ex-wife, Leslie Visser. And that was the most helpful thing in the world to me. It was the first woman I met in this business who opened the doors for me and so many. Um, and I was really intimidated and really scared the first time he said she was coming to dinner. And she immediately made sure she was sitting next to me and gave me the biggest hug. And mm. She sat there the whole dinner and for the rest of, you know, till today has become one of um, my favorite women in this world and in this business. She championed me and she championed so many. And I am so lucky to have seen that from a woman in this business in a time when there just weren't that many women supporting each other. And so I am so thankful for my time with Dick because it led me to Leslie and I still get the chills every time I talk to her. She's, she's incredible in every way. The other person I want to mention is Kevin Harlan. And he is the only person I know who's ever done the play-by-play -play of a cat trying to score. This is, this is <laughs> remarkable. I've had the pleasure of knowing this guy for 40 years. He is very unique to say the least. He's walking to the three. He's at the two. And the cat is in the CDW red zone. CDW people who get it now, a policeman, a state trooper has come on the field, and the cat runs into the end zone. That is a touchdown. So it's like every game I do with him, I've been so fortunate that I've done the last two Super Bowls with him. And again, to hear that voice say your name is just is, is still a thrill. But it's like the one person that you want to bring a cat, or I want to bring my dog, and you know, and and have him do something else because <laughs> it's so much fun to listen to. But I can just say this. I don't have to even talk about what a pro Kevin is because, you know, and, and anybody who listens to whatever sport it is that Kevin is calling knows, you know, what a, what a pro he is. But Kevin is one of the greatest human beings in the world. Ever been to the Polina Market? If not, what are you waiting for? It's been Chicago's premier market for the finest meats and much more since 1949. Their steaks are top of the line, but there's also chicken, fish, and those mouth-watering sausages. And you might spend hours just perusing their frozen food section, all made fresh. And now the expanded Polina Market offers beer, wine, and sandwiches. It's become a one-stop shop, making your in-store experience well worth your time. And you can still order online. I've been shopping here since 1984. Polina Market is simply the best and conveniently located at 3501 North Lincoln Avenue in Chicago. Check them out on their impressive website at polinamarket.com. No one, I mean no one, does hot dogs better than Vienna Beef. That's because they've been doing them since 1893. Imagine biting into a delicious all-beef Vienna hot dog, dragged through the garden which includes yellow mustard, onions, relish, tomatoes, sport peppers, pickles, and celery salt, and just try that on one of their Polish sausages. Vienna products are available everywhere, from your supermarkets, restaurants, the ballparks, and zoos, just to mention a few, and you can purchase them online at ViennaBeef.com. And look for their farm acres chili, mini bagel dogs, condiments, and classic deli meats. Take it from a guy who was weaned on, then sold Vienna products. It's the mark of excellence since 1893. Find them at ViennaBeef.com.
You wrote a children's book entitled Mommy Has Cancer, which was a tribute to your late mother. And I'm guessing this was a labor of love. Yeah, I love that you brought that up. You know, my mom was the healthiest person I knew and was misdiagnosed for a long time. She was in such great shape and her doctor kept sending her away saying exactly that, you know, you're fine. I know you keep talking about feeling a pressure in your side, but you're fine, Lynn. You know, you're the healthiest person I know. And she was a marathon runner for decades and decades when we were little kids and was a vegetarian my whole life. And so she was so healthy. And I just remember the year, you know, it was a year from the diagnosis till she died in the last couple of months being at Northwestern every day and watching her go through all the treatments that weren't working. And I would stand on that bridge, um, the overlooking Michigan Avenue. And I would, when she would ever, you know, when she'd be in her treatments and I'd be by myself and I would, I would just sit there and I would try so hard to think of people to call who had gone through it, but I was 22, 23, and I didn't know anyone who lost a parent. And I would go to bookstores and there weren't any books. And I remember just thinking, well, I'm, you know, I thought I was old at that time. So I was like, well, I'm old enough to be able to ask questions and to be able to process my feelings. But what do you do when you're six and going through this or 10? And so I said, you know, one day when my heart heals from this a little bit more and I'm ready, I'd love to write a children's book about it. And this was so many years ago that just there, there, now there's such a huge market for children's books. There wasn't then. And, and that was a, you know, that was a hard thing to find a publisher and someone who wanted to have the specialized book, which seems so funny now because there's so many wonderful books, but yeah, that was everything because I, I still to this day would love to write a book at, from an adult standpoint about losing my mom, but it's too hard. And I, I, my heart still can't handle it, but I, I was able to find my, my children's voice or my child's voice very easily to be able to hopefully help others. And the cool for, full circle moment is I called uh, an SID in the last probably five years. And I was calling um, because the head coach asked me to call him to talk to him about doing media training for the team. And we were hanging up and he said, hey, can I tell you something? And he said, I don't know if this will mean anything to you, but my wife died of cancer years ago. And I had a daughter who was about six years old and that she, um, there were no books and he found mine and he would read that to her. And he said, I just wanted to tell you, I don't know if that means anything, but how much that helped us. And George, that might've been the greatest compliment I ever got in my life. And just knowing that it helped one little girl mm -hmm. meant everything to me. And and it was just, it, it was exactly what you said. It was a labor of love. And it was, you know, it was something that was done with a broken heart that, you know, that helped heal hopefully other people's in so many ways. And again, under the heading of you probably, I think when you find your purpose, it's when you don't have something and you want to create it, you know, to make sure someone else doesn't go through that. If that's galvanized in a network of women for women, or if that's a book that I desperately needed. And instead of looking back and going, shoot, I could have used that. I could have used women. I could have used a book to help me navigate that time. I wouldn't have written that book if I had it. I wouldn't have created Galvanize if I had a lot of women in my life because I wouldn't know how rare those things were. So I'm really grateful for both of those. You know, there's going to come a time when you look at the sideline gig and say, hmm, I've had enough. Have you given that thought? Dev Iyer has Fox. No, um, <laughs> come on. Fox loves you. You know that. You know, what I would say now is I still love what I do on the sidelines. 
Um, but probably the reason why I still, you know, I really stick around more than anything is I'm really proud of the fact that I'm the third longest tenured sideline reporter in NFL history. And that is when I first found that out, which was by accident, you know, I just found out that day and was stunned. I wanted to make an age joke about it. And I was so angry that I did, that I wanted to, because I was like, that's so offensive. You know, that's, it, that's nothing to do with how old I am. It's to do with how long I've been doing this and hopefully the work ethic and the preparation and all that. But what I love more than anything, still doing this job at this time is I want young girls and women to see women who are aging on camera. So I want them to see me still doing it. I want them to see Pam Oliver. I want them to see Lisa Salters and Michelle Tafoya. And I'm so proud to be one of those women who are showing people that um, this isn't something just for your 20s. This isn't something you phase out of. We get better and better with age, just like men do. But we haven't been afforded the luxury to age like Dick Stockton has and had. And so I'm really hopeful that we're creating that. And so I, I, I probably don't think, you know, more than uh, more ahead than this season, you know, and still doing it this season. But I still love it. I'm still passionate about it. And more, more probably important than anything is I still find, um, I still find such a strong message in doing it because I hope that, I hope that young women see this and or see me and go, gosh, not only do I want to have this job, but I want to build this career. I want to last 30, 40 years. I don't want to just do this when I'm 25 and get spit up and chewed out. I want to learn how to make a career out of this. So, um, so I don't know. Right now, I, I I love what I'm doing, but I'm really fortunate that I also do all these other things also that fill my cup in so many ways. I ask this final question to all my guests. If not for sports journalism, what would you have been? Uh, I would have been finding a way to be a sports journalist. <laughs> <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't have a plan B. It took me nine months to get the first job. My mom kept saying, are you sure? Is there anything else? And I kept saying... No, my plan B is to make sure plan A works. Um, so no, I, you know, I just, I can't see my life in any other way than where it's been. But yeah, no, I, I can't even think of a world without me having done this because it's been such a gift. What an absolute pleasure this has been. Thank you, Laura Oakman, for telling me a story I don't know. George, I've so enjoyed this conversation. I can't thank you enough. It's such a, it's so wonderful. You and I have not talked in so many years and how wonderful, not just this conversation, but, but a full circle moment getting to do it with you at this time in our lives. I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. Pleasure's mine. Thanks, Laura. My thanks to Fox Sports, the late and great Sports Vision and Sports Channel, and Laura Oakman's Galvanize for those outstanding highlights. And to our generous sponsors, Dynamic Manufacturing, where there's nothing they can't do, and Rawl Jewelers, top jewelers in the northwest suburbs on Barrington Road and Hoffman Estates. Come in as a customer, leave as a friend. Also, the Polina Market, purveyors of the finest meats and much more, and by the Vienna Beef Company, home of Chicago's hot dog and an institution since 1893. I'm George Hoffman, and that's all she wrote. What if I told you that you can support your blood pressure and healthy CoQ10 levels with two chews a day? The new Super Beats Heart Chews Advanced is now supercharged with CoQ10. That's like getting CoQ10 for free. Our powerful blend of beetroot, grapeseed extract, and CoQ10 supports your cardiovascular health. Visit RadioBeats.com 
and find out how you can get a free 30-day supply on bundles and save 15% with the promo code DEAL.